I want to invite you all to stand with me as we share in the word this morning. I will be reading from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 14 to 18. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung on to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. The word of God. Be seated. We are wrapping up this retold series where we've only got one more week left, and it has been a lot of fun to go through in the exact same pace that our kids were going through this week in its order. Week one, we had Pastor Devo bring the biblical heat. He was in the book of Genesis, and uh, he shared how important words are. The words matter. He talked about Ezer and Adam. Um, week two, we looked at the story of Abigail as Abigail began to reimagine her world while she was still uh, liminally stuck in her position as a female among patriarchal systems of violence and abuse, arrogance and wealth. She was able to rise above that, reimagine a different world, and because she could use this divine imagination, she saved her people with the church also be able to reimagine what the world and reality could look like even in our space today. And last week, we looked at the story of Solomon, who was a person of control. He had to control all of the faculties and the things around him. He was control of the polity. He was control of, uh, of the assassinations. He was control of his kingship. And because of that, he had a difficult time of being at rest and then being able to respond to God who is grand and mighty and good and full of love. Dr. Gerard Kimene, a good friend of mine, texted me afterwards. He says, yeah, it's as if, it's as if Solomon uh, let God work through him but did not allow God to work in him. Next week, we get the wonderful pleasure and honor. Just turn to someone and say, hey, you got to come next week. Invite the person next to you. Say, you got to come next week. You got to come next week. It's exciting. Pastor Ben and Lawrence Ng, one of our youth, will be taking the pulpit to preach. I said one of our youth is preaching next week. Yeah. I said one of our youth is preaching next week with Pastor Ben. That's exciting. That's beautiful. They're going to be talking about the story of Elijah. But today, we look at Ruth. So this passage that we read is a beautiful passage. It's so beautiful, most people use it at weddings. This is the, this is the, the 
you know, this is the default. If you can't come up with anything creative, we're going to use this passage from the book of Ruth to, to make a sign of commitment for this brand new thing we're about to, to do together, this adventure of marriage. And, and there's so many, like, bubbly hearts and butterfly feelings in our spirit. You remember way back when you first, you first fell in love, right? Some of you are like, no, no. <laughs> Oh, we, we use that text in our, in our wedding. In fact, we got married on, on here at this church on this platform with uh, our pastors uh, from the SEC, and that was a text we used in our verse, right? Because we were like so young and new and in love, and it was beautiful. Yeah, that's what happens at the beginning, right? We did things that like each other liked. Not because we liked it, but because they liked it. And we thought we would always do that. Oh, we were so young and naive. My wife loves shopping. Man, I used to go with her all the time. Honey, you're going to Costco? Let me come with you because I love you. That had to stop. Somebody say amen. <laughs> My wife's like, I'm going to Target. Good luck. I'll see you in a few hours. I'll be right here. When my wife and I first started dating, uh, the game Halo was still in. It's a video game. Some of you may know it. It's a little bit uh, antiquated for you young folks. Let's look it up on Wikipedia. My wife started playing Halo with us. And I was like, man, I love this girl. She loves video games. We got married. The video game machine had to go. I was like, oh, no. I went to Disneyland because I loved my wife. You know, my wife loves Disneyland. May, I mean, she knows all the backdoor cuts, the quick lines, the tickets. She's got friends in places that, you know, meet me here and I'll get you in. Okay, let's go. Like, is this, this is like Disney black market. What's happening here? I went to Disneyland. See, I don't like Disneyland. Like, my wife loves Disneyland, and I love money. So it is, it's, very, it's very hard. Yeah, somebody understands me. It's that kind of love that we use the text for when we get, you know, when we say, uh, your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. I will follow you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But this text is not birthed in that kind of feeling. The passage isn't birthed from young love with hopeful promises and butterfly feelings. There's a difference between young love that feels right and deep love that knows right. Ruth speaks from a place where she's not feeling right, but she knows right. This, uh, this beautiful word in the Hebrew is chesed. Chesed. Everybody say it. One, two, three. Chesed. Yeah. This, this, this term, chesed, is usually translated as kindness or loyalty in, in the RSV, as you might have seen in this text. The Hebrew term is a strong one, and it refers to care or concern. Now, the truth of the matter for chesed is that it's a care that specifically takes shape in action to rescue the other from a situation of desperate need. Chesed means I will love you in this place where you find difficulty, where I will join with you, and together we will move and journey. I will not separate from you in this time and in this place. That is chesed. It is, a, it, is a, it is a deep love that says, I will not leave you. Hmm. 
Well, in the book of Ruth, the central figure, I think, the person, in my opinion, who is like the centerpiece is really Naomi. Naomi's there at the beginning, and Naomi's there at the end. The first chapter, as it begins, Naomi moves into Moab with her husband, Elimelech, and he dies. She has two boys, so she raised them there in Moab. They get married 10 years later with their Moabite wives. They die. So this lady is no stranger to loss. She's bewildered. She's broken. She's in a place where things don't make sense. She's, no, she's, not a, she's a foreigner in that land. She's an immigrant in the land she's in. She's also a foreigner at home. She no longer has a blood-strong relative that she's connected to. She no longer has a male protective, authoritative figure in her life. She is there. And now the family that she has is not her blood relative. That's of the chosen people. The relatives she has there are non-blood female Moabites. She's at a place where she is very fragile. There she is. This is her story. But if Naomi is the centerpiece, then I think the redeemer in this story is Ruth. Ruth is the redeemer in this story. Ruth is, is the one who walks by Naomi's side, who chooses chesed, who chooses to not be unbound from her. She clings to Naomi. In verse 14, it is Orpah who cries, and it is Ruth who clings. This Moabite girl who has no rights in the, in the, in the tribe of Israel, she's got no, no stance, she has no status, decides as a foreigner that she will cling to Naomi. She then, when they go back to Bethlehem, she gleans. She's the one who goes and gleans the harvest. She goes out there, not Naomi. She goes and harvests and gathers the harvest so that they might have food. She's the one who meets Boaz and begins a connection with this man. This is how dangerous her work is. In chapter 2, verse 15, this is what Boaz says. When she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean even among the standing sheaves and do not reproach, and some versions say, molest her. Somebody hear me now. She's doing this task not because it's comfortable or easy. She's doing a very dangerous task, but she continues and has said to redeem Naomi. She's the one who makes the proposition with Boaz and Knight. She secures Elimelech and Naomi's land and property. She's the one who bears a child that is the direct line for the Davidic throne. This is Ruth the Redeemer? It's kind of interesting to call Ruth the Redeemer since she's a Moabite. Now, we hear this story all the time, so we don't think about it, but uh, Moabites are enemies to the Israelites. They don't, they don't get along. So for a story to be heard by those who are first hearing this in its context, that the enemy, the, the, those that we did, are disgusted by, those that, that we would rather kill, those that we would rather pillage, are the ones where a redeemer arises out of its ashes to save us. It is because of Ruth that there is a Davidic line. David becomes king because of the Moabite. This is the work of a strange and foreign person. 
Two points. Two points, and then we can all go and eat. Say amen. Amen. First point, Ruth and Orpah would not have understood God and God's expression of the Hebrew people had it not have been for Naomi's acceptance and love for them. They needed to have an experience with Naomi to understand and know the God of the universe. They had gods. They were worshiping. They had a different culture. They came from a different place. They were strange foreigners. Had it not been for Naomi, they would not have had that experience. We need more Naomi's in our church so that those who don't know God can find a deep love for this God. We need more Naomi's. Now I'm calling out Naomi's and Naomo's. <laughs> we need them. Hey, listen. Let's stop complaining about everything. Turn to somebody and say, stop complaining. Let's stop hating and, and tearing down. That's the work of the world. What we need now is to unify and has said in that deep love where we are able to create profound relationships with Moabites or those that are foreign to us, Adventists, so that they can find a beautiful expression of faith here in this church. It's easier to hang out with Adventists if you're Adventists. Adventists, say amen. It's easy. We love, we know what to say. We got, we got to, haystacks, haystacks. <laughs> we know things. Vespers, Vespers. Nobody says Vespers. You're in the Caribbean. You're right. <laughs> Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. These are things we know. And don't, don't, you know, if you went to some kind of Adventist school, oh man. You know when you're around, hey, you from PC, you too from PC? Yeah, PC, yeah, McReynolds, hey. Well. If you're from Lassie, oh, Lassie, yeah, 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 HMA, oh, yeah. We have Adventist language that keeps us very Adventist. The problem with that is that we no longer connect with the bigger world around us. We are growing our churches and, 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 and losing our members in our churches to other Adventist churches. We're not growing from our community. Because our hesed for the Moabites has been lacking. Somebody say amen. We've got to figure a way to connect with the world around us. To have a deep and profound love with, for them. And, and to, to sit down at a table and begin to grow as a family together. It was Naomi's love. Not Naomi's theology. Not Naomi's etiquette. Not Naomi's fundamental understandings of her people. It was her love that created an acceptance for these two young ladies to follow her back to Bethlehem. We need to be deeply loving, church. Dr. David Trim from the General Conference, former archi archivist, points out that since 1964, 1965, we have lost 16 million people from the Adventist church. Let that sink in. Dr. Alan Martin from the North American Division, growing young Adventists, parses out the numbers, which were two-thirds of those were young adults. Two-thirds of that number is about 10 million since 1964. 10 million. We've lost 10 million young adults from the church. You know how big that is? That is the county of Los Angeles. If we woke up tomorrow and the county was gone, we would be, we would be in, in horrible pain. The Lakers would be gone. Mercy. 
<laughs> Some are like, praise the Lord. <laughs> we don't need them around. <laughs> Haters. And yet we don't blink an eye that this has been happening to us. Why? Top five reasons, if it, if it were, if it were uh, condensed down, would be that people didn't feel like they belonged in the church. Not theology, not praise, not production. They felt like the church did not love them. Said says that we are to love more deeply and more profoundly and say, I'm going to stick with you all the way through. Naomi does this. May the church do this. May we practice this well so that the next generation can take this church and say, we too will stay and continue the tradition of Naomi. Second point, I'll make it quick. The hunger pains are growing over here, I get it. But Naomi likewise would, have been able to, would not have been able to receive redemption that she needed had it not been for her embrace of Ruth. So check this out. Ruth and Orpah changes their lives completely. Ruth, in fact, follows and redeems and does the work for Naomi because she fell in love with Naomi because of Naomi's reaction and connection with her. But because she fell in love with Naomi, Naomi herself found redemption because of the Moabite. So she brings the Moabite into the tribe and it becomes one community because of the way she loves the Moabite. But in so doing, the Moabite then turns around and redeems the whole, the whole tribe of Israel because the Moabite is the one who is the lineage for David. And it makes me think about how important it is, not just for us to connect with the community so that we can bless them and they can see what God looks like through our eyes and say, wow, that is irresistible and beautiful and wonderful. I want to be part of this church. But also, what kind of redemption could we find if we had better connections with the greater community around us? What kind of beautiful things could we learn? What kind of nuances? What things is God doing in the world that we are blindsided to because we're not a part of that community? God is wanting to do wonderful and beautiful and great things in us and through us. And we need to figure out how to have better connections with those that God is using outside of our tribe. We've got a great tribe. I love our tribe. I, I'm vegetarian. Praise the Lord. It's good. If you're not vegetarian, I'm praying for you. <laughs> ben. I'm not saying Ben. 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 Pray for you. <laughs> We've got amazing traditions that are fantastic and beautiful. I love the Sabbath, man. It's so beautiful. And, and it reminds me to just give it to God. I'm not in control. I love these things. But if ever the things that we love about us becomes more important than loving the stranger, then we fail. If ever keeping the Sabbath keeps me from being better at loving others, I fail. If ever my vegetarianism is more important to me than the hospitality of caring for someone, I fail. Because God cares for people that love deeply. That is our missiology. That is our mission. To love deeply, profoundly, to have said the world. 
I live a health message. I don't drink and smoke. Sometimes, I need to sometimes. No, I'm playing, I'm playing. If you're watching online, that was a joke. <laughs> Somebody out there is writing an article right now. <laughs> I live the health message not, not because I think it's going to save me, right? God's not going to come, you know, when I come up to, hey, uh, Icky, hey, there you are. Did, oh, you had pepperoni? Oh, mercy, no. I'm not worried about that. God loves me. I live the health message because it allows me to live longer in this world. And if I could live longer in this world, I could live the gospel more thoroughly and beautifully and authentically. And if I can do that, I hope that someone else would find that God expression beautiful and choose to follow Jesus into eternity. That's why I do it. I don't want to live long on this earth if I'm going to be a horrible human being. Nobody wants that. Like, hey, yeah, you're, you're, you're having his neighbor. Man, he's lived for like 200 years. Yeah, but he's a horrible human being. We don't want to live next to him. No. Being Adventist is a, the opportunity to have an expression of life that is beautiful and meaningful and good and right and is full of hesed for a world we live in. But we weren't meant to just live this by ourselves. We were meant to live it into the world around us so that they too, in dialogue with us, could continue to experience and explore and find Jesus all around us. I share this text, uh, this quote from Norman Wurzba's book, Way of Love. When the church is functioning as it should, people discover that they are always loved, that they are responsible for each other, and that they are called to model to each other and to everyone the divine power that transforms fearful, bored souls into people who nurture, protect, and celebrate the gifts of God. Could we be that to the world? I think we can. I believe in this last year University Church that has said would be here part of our narrative and that it pours out into a community who is thirsting for Jesus.